Welcome to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby Podcast. Each episode, your hosts bring you news, views, and abuse from America's professional rugby union, along with all the latest on the USA national team. Now, with all that said, let's get on with the show. And we're live. Welcome to Earful of Dirt. We're back for season five. And if you notice a change, Craig, you want to tell people what happened? Aaron divorced us, uh, <laughs> so we upgraded him by bringing on, uh, as you see, Johnny Utah here, former MLR star, John Cullen. Happy to be here. Uh, yeah, an unfortunate fill-in and uh, downgrade for Aaron, but I'll do my best. <laughs> I, I guess, I think Rugby Morning asked asked in the in the Twitter post this morning, like, do we start calling Aaron Judge Dread now? <laughs> Well, I, I, I'm just shocked that Daniel Brown is still not with us for yet another season. Uh, I thought I thought that was the most disappointing omission. Hi, I'm Liam Poach, by the way, everybody. <laughs> oh, yeah. And in case you didn't know, my name is Joshua Fredland. I am the new Aaron Castro. So we'll fi- we'll see how that goes. Hi, I'm working on my audio over here. I can't hear a word Josh is saying. Uh, I'm Craig Rudelli, though. You guys, I'm sure, remember me from previous seasons. You could also find me on Twitter at Monday Morning Fly Half, or more specifically at MM Fly Half. It's a good, it's a good read, Craig. It's a good read. One of, one of the, my very few I enjoy, if that's a compliment. I appreciate that. That's quite an honor. Yeah. And as we all know, this is one of the very few podcasts that most ru- ru- rugby uh, fans in America enjoy. <laughs> Yes. That's, that's just a joke. We got plenty of podcast friends out there in the verse. Oh my God, I can hear you guys. Okay. I you can? Right, well, I'm yes. still wicked quiet, bro. So. <laughs> the the AirPods saved me. I, don't know <laughs> I think it's the cheap CVS uh, headphones that I'm rocking right now. <laughs> so. I got I to invest in some headphones. I did I did the mic for my own podcast when it's just me yammering nonsense, but I know that headphones make a big difference with the groups. Yeah, I, I never usually use them, but uh, I know mo- most people do. Aaron had the big headset, so if you're really replacing him, you're going to have to get the, like, <laughs> waving in air traffic control headset. You, you, can, you, you can pick up some AM radio on them, too. It's actually kind of entertaining when you're a little bored on the pod. <laughs> like those old school ones like you used to wear when dads were mowing the lawn. Old exactly. 80s. Yes. Staple of many 80s movies. <laughs> but right. there, that's fiction. I have no idea. Lee <laughs> <laughs> never saw the 80s, so he's just guessing. No, it's, just no, it's, all, it's all hypothetical to me. I'm not, I'm not even sure they existed. As far as I know, 95 was the beginning of the you know Earth and all that Genesis <laughs> stuff. Right, well, let, let's take a move into our first topic, you know, just discuss some off-season signings. I think we can add some breaking news that happened, what, five hours ago? L.A. signing another foreign player. Cue, cue the outrage. Um, and former England Sevens captain Tom Mitchell. What do you all think? Good, I guess. I mean, is he going to even play? Uh, yeah, they have so many players uh, and so many so many talented players in so many different positions. It's hard to see now how it's all going to map out, in my view, especially given the new coach. Uh, you know, so, I, I mean, anytime you get a professional player from overseas, I think that's obviously a good thing. Uh, you know, frankly, sevens players 
haven't translated that great to MLR so far. I mean, I'm trying to think of what Sevens player has come over and really done a great job. I think, uh, you know, there's been a couple, uh, uh, the Scottish uh, New England Sevens guy, Liam, uh, uh, who am I, uh, who am I thinking Dougie, of? Dougie Fife. Dougie? Dougie yeah. Fife? <laughs> Yeah, so there's been, there's been maybe one or two, but a lot a lot of seven superstars haven't translated that well. Cecil Africa comes to mind, just just came over, you know, didn't really do that much last year in my view. So, I mean, I think this is fine. I, I think it's not, you know, I'm more excited about other signings LA has had this offseason than that particular one. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And um, I'll go into a little bit more detail, um, you know, about why I might think the signing is be- pretty beneficial for L.A. when we talk about uh, new coach signings, um, as well as a few of the new player signings as well. Um, but I, I I think it's a good fit. I think L.A. will be able to build something pretty dynamic in terms of the forward players that they have. Um, you know, they only allowed a, a, an average about like 18 points a game last season uh, defensively. So the more and more, you know, guys you add who can who can play ball control, and, you know, and, and allow you to, you know, keep those margins of points uh, from your opponent pretty low. Um, yeah, like I said, I'll, I'll go in a little bit more into it when we talk about uh, the new coach signings. Uh, yeah, my, my first apologies. Uh, Daddy Daycare was in full force. We've also we've also figured out um, door handles recently. So just closing doors doesn't mean anything anymore. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I was I was – impartial on the Mitchell signing, probably the, you know, most mundane response ever, but I just, I'm probably in the same boat. Uh, Craig, I jumped out when you were going, I'm sure we're probably going to grin a lot of points. Uh, I'm just going to echo it. Um, and we'll touch, we'll touch on it later when we dive into maybe some bold predictions and I'll make some comments, but the sevens thing now with how specialized sevens has become and how, intricate 15s has always been and how the game's gone the the crossover it's hit and miss right like sometimes it works and it's something you never thought and then the guy you thought was going to be great isn't um every factor goes into it but i don't know i'm pretty impartial i mean you know I, I try to watch what i say and be respectful as a former player and, and very understanding right but you're talking about an aging kind of undersized sevens guy who's who's it currently injured. I mean, I'm sure it's going to be good and he, he'll he'll have a positive impact on the team, but I don't think it's earth shattering news by any means. I don't know if any other NLR player saw that signing and there was no, oh shit, LA's got another dude. It was like, oh, okay. He'll be, he'll, he'll be someone to watch film on. I mean, what position do we even expect him to play? Like, where does he have a spot in the lineup in LA? I, you know, that, that was the first thing that came to my mind because I'm like, he's not a nine, he's not a 15s 10, maybe fullback, right? I'm not quite, I mean, someone correct me who's better what they have at fullback right now. Maybe there's an area for him, and it's, I mean, maybe he's just great cover for a lot of things, kind of, but. I, I mean, maybe maybe you could have him at that fourteen spot, you know, coming off the bench to add like a little bit of like speed and experience, you know, like as you know, you're trying to finish out a game. Um, but over yeah. over over James, that that's that that is my thinking. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, but, but again, it, it, it's depth. Yeah, like is all you can really say and shrug your shoulders. It's depth. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think I think James should start personally, but it, but even if that's the case, he ends up as the reserve winger. I mean, is that really that big of a deal? You know, is who's getting that excited about a reserve winger being added to a team? So I don't know. I mean, it's nice to have big names that. Sorry, Craig. I was like, correct me if I'm wrong, because John and DTH are still both coming back, right? Mm-hmm. As far as I know, D- yeah. DTH so is at least. So then you're beating out one of those. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah. He may just be like the back three cover, you know, and then he can slide anywhere. Who, who knows? He, again, he may not even dress. Uh, so, well, also, I think it's it's good to have news headlines when you know when a, a famous overseas professional is, is signed. That's always, I guess, uh, all things considered, equal and positive. But like to me, Hanko Hammerschein is going to LA is a much bigger news than yeah. this particular signing. Hundred percent. Let's stay on the the sevens talk for just a minute, since you know we got a bunch of people coming. Out of the USA players, I believe I believe because it's it's Eosefa, Barrett, and Liuta. I thought there was one and, more, but was it and Maka? And Maka. Out of those, we'll add Mitchell to that. Out of those five, is Eosefa going to make the biggest impact since he has you know had a decent impact in fifteens before? Maka. Maka. I think I actually would. I mean, I who knows? But I would have guessed ISFO. I mean, he just seems like he has more of a 15s type of set of instincts. But uh, you know, such a small sample size, hard to say. Why do you say Maka? I don't know. I don't know where he fits in in that midfield in Seattle with what they have right now. So that that's the only one where I'm hesitant on Martin. Martin brings a, a wild X factor, right? So it probably 70 30 on this, but. I'm just going to lean towards Maka because Maka is the type he where the MLR is at right now. Like you throw him at fullback and he's um he's a Don potty. Um, old, old dude up at DC. Um, what's his name? Got four uh, names. Osea Kalina sounds old and on DC, but I don't want to say I love DTS. D- yeah, DTS. Oh, and Dylan like Connor Simpson. Yes, Dylan. Thank you. All the acronyms, right? Yeah. Um, but that type of guy and a Dougie Fife ish, right? Like you kick back to Maka on a 15s field with a shitty chase line, you're going to be turning around real quick. But where does somebody like Maka fit in uh, defensively if, if you were to put them at, at that fullback position? Do you think that? You know they they, oh. they have like the level, that level of defensive dynamicism to like you know handle that position and get some of the larger people in MLR. I think so. I mean, yeah, maybe, but maybe not. But also like, just because he's a seven stud, and, and I'll I'll touch on this with you know some of the stuff with Danny and and Matai. But it's like, all right, if if a big ass eight breaks through the line and runs Maka over, like. Hey, guess what? It's an eight's job if he breaks through the line. A fullback doesn't want doesn't want those problems. So it's like if that happens, it's just like, oh yeah, you're a fullback in 15s. Like, welcome to the pain. But one of the things is, you know, for however many years it's been, with how dominant we've been in the air with the high ball on the seven circuit, like what those guys will bring to being able to counter that if teams start putting that in and they're coming flying through the air and plucking it out like a wide receiver. That's a game. I mean, that's a game-changing skill that a lot of MLR fullbacks don't have. A lot of yeah, a lot of the yeah. S-level fullbacks don't have it. With what we watched this off-season, yeah, 
That was almost, I almost thought for a while that that was going to literally revolutionize rugby at all levels, that restarts were going to become uh, like a 50-50 contest. Uh, it never seemed to quite get there. And I think even USA 7 seems to not do quite as well. as I think teams have adjusted a bit to it over the years, but they certainly excelled in that. Uh, what, what You know who I – you know who may actually make the biggest impact, and it, not necessarily because of his play, but because of his marketability, is Danny Barrett. I mean, I think for a, a league whose challenges are, I mean, in all honesty, they're probably more commercial than they are quality of play related. Uh, you know, someone like Danny Barrett, I think, is a really likable guy, really good with the media and the public, uh, and he'll have that USA Rugby kind of, you know, sevens a little more international success uh, sort of recognition. So, you know, he, he had, he may end up making the biggest splash just because he, he might put uh, butts in the seats where I'm not sure that the other sevens players, if you're not a rugby fan, you probably have never heard of them. And you're, you know, it's probably not changing your, your ticket buying decision. Danny Barrett's on bar stool. You know, he, he gets around a bit. He, he may be more of a draw. Yeah, I mean, aside from the commercial factor, too, I feel like Danny Barrett is somebody who plays with a little bit more of a chip on his shoulder and, you know, is one of those sevens guys who I think can make the physical transition from the sevens game into the 15s game, um, you know, and be able to carry himself and play play himself through a full 16-game season as well. Yeah, agreed. He's a big – he's a hoss. I mean, I, oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I'll be interested to see that, man. Like, Danny Barrett is probably 30. I think we're all <laughs> He's got really. He is. He's he's thirty one. We're the same age. Not too bad, man. You guys are all young. Johnny, I have to ask you: Is that behind you? Is that a t-shirt set of t-shirts turned into a blanket? Yes. That is awesome. I have the exact same thing that my wife got me for my birthday, like uh, a year or two ago. I can't. It's not on camera, obviously, but I I also own a t-shirt blanket. I've got I've got like two or three. I've got one that my grandma made, which is really cool. It actually has a lot better shirts. And then I got this one like made made. But I mean, you got you guys all know like you play long enough. I just I mean, there's so many. There's two more bags that could make I can like either gonna add to this one or make another one sitting in my room right now because I'm just like I'm never gonna wear these shirts again. Like I not gonna I like. I might have like one or two jerseys like back home in Massachusetts, like are that for that are from teams that I've never even played on. You know, I, I I know for a fact I have a Johnson State jersey I stole during a social. Um, you know, shout out to the Johnson State guys, I love y'all, but it's mine. They're coming for you now. <laughs> we'll see. I'm not It may have been as much that uh, you know I'm also not quite as skinny as I once was, and. Uh, <laughs> So I think my wife was getting embarrassed by my like wearing midriff t-shirts around. So I still cling <laughs> to the glory days. She's like, if I could see your belly button when you reach up, this shirt has to go. And one day they were gone, and then they were a blanket. Uh, so it's probably <laughs> a win-win. Well, I'm and I, I'm not a jersey guy. So like, if I'm doing swaps or trades, like I never want jerseys. Cause like I collect shorts. I've got bags of shorts because I can wear anyone's shorts at touch, you know. But I'm like, I hate wearing rugby jerseys they're too tight i'm not wearing them at touch i'm getting old and soft now so i'm not embarrassing myself in a tight jersey when i don't have to and then like i don't know it's so weird i was never like a jersey i don't wear jerseys to games so i was like i gotta do something i was like this is probably the best way i have a a bunch of jerseys that i'm like i don't know if it's disrespectful or nice to turn this into a blanket (laughs) 
right. While we're on the topic of jerseys, let's talk about this year's jerseys. What 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 do we all think? You know, what's your favorite? Which one do you I, hate? I, I got some freaking opinions, man. So, did, <laughs> so do I. <laughs> to, to start to start off on a positive note, I I, I think that's important. Uh, the Dallas Jackals right now, I think you know s- simplicity is awesome. I really like the yeah, the color scheme of like that teal um, kind of like fading into the black. Um, I you know I'm very American football fan ish in that I really don't like advertisements on on um, sports jerseys. And right now, um, the Jackals are at a point where their jersey isn't absolutely littered. Uh, you know, with, with billboard-esque type of advertising. Um, so, love Dallas Jackals uniforms. Hey! Except, except Poach, the, the players are paying the price for that. <laughs> All that True. means is less, is less money. <laughs> True. I, I, I should say it's purely aesthetic. Purely aesthetic. Not not my economical opinion whatsoever. But so, but to move on, I hate, 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 freaking hate San Diego's orange Cute orange jerseys, dude. Like, I have this memory of one time I threw up at a birthday party a bunch of orange soda. That is what this the, the, that color scheme right there on the collar reminds me of. So, San Diego, back go back to the red and black, man. What the? Uh, I'm looking at it right now, actually, and it it makes me feel unpleasant. I, I think we can go back to the money situation there, and that's a that's a sponsor <laughs> color choice to me. Well, I don't work for the league anymore. <laughs> Who who is there? What Dunkin' Donuts asking him to go orange or something? <laughs> it's Ballast Point Brewery. Oh, all right, it's a brewery. I, I feel, but still, <laughs> oh, well, it's, it's going to be a lot of money. Bring it on. <laughs> all right. Yeah, I mean, I I I just I'm a classic sort of guy. I just I like hoops. I like collars. So it's pretty easy to predict which jerseys I like and which ones I don't like. Uh, so I mean, New England. I hate to admit because. Yeah, New England's an awful place, but uh, you know, I, I do like their jersey. It's pretty, you know, that especially the one with the kind of the thin hoops on it. It's pretty hard not to like that. Uh, New York, I saw in in one of those alternate kids. It's not on like the main announcement, but somebody sent me a picture of some alternate New York jersey that had a collar, which I thought was really nice. Uh, yeah. So I mean, I like the ones with the collars, like the ones with the hoops. I, I actually don't like the fading away color thing. Like you mentioned, the jackals. I, I think Noah's always had that sort of, you know, that sort of aesthetic where there's like a, a bleeding off of the color. I don't know. I don't, I don't like those for whatever reason. I, I don't think they they look good on TV, personally. But I don't know. I I, I feel like my opinions are boring in this sense because I just like old school looking jerseys pretty much. Well, I think you'll feel better about Nola this year. It's just the it's just the quarters. Yeah, even that one though, like the quarters look like they're weirdly pixelized. That you know, they they don't look like they're just solid yellow and white. The white, I guess, looks pretty solid, but the yellow looks like it reminds me of my old you know digital army uniform. You know, it looks like they're trying to do something. They're trying to you know camouflage in you know, a white and gold jungle. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, I made I made a list. I put a little tweet out. One of the Utah guys made the best joke that um, Dallas's color scheme and their jersey design was the exact same as our practice jerseys for the last couple of years. But I was like, well, I liked our practice jerseys. Um, so I had Dallas as my favorite. I just liked the color scheme and all that. I kind of put – I mean, obviously, I like Utah. It's, if Utah messes up their jerseys, that's probably a bigger cause for concern than if they have good jerseys because I'm like – 
you're black and red. You can't mess it up until San Diego did it, which yeah, there you right. go. But I'm like, I'm probably the same as Craig. Like, I like the classic. Like, I put Toronto, New England, and NOLA, Utah, Atlanta, kind of in that, that same bubble. Very classic, clean, nice jerseys. Um, New York, the only thing I wrote was just a swing and a miss because I was like – I just the alternate weird printed stuff. I don't get. I saw the alternates and I was like, "Oh, those are cool. That should have been your jersey and the Statue of Liberty face thing. That should have been your alternate." Um, yeah, I don't love that you're a kid. I mean, it's true. They kind of they disappoint. Same with DC. I mean, you got two army guys right here, but the DC thing, I'm like, you guys really missed on that one. Like, call someone up and do better. They but just like smeared across the chest here. thing. I'm like. Unfortunately, I don't know what it is, right? This is a whole other discussion. Like, the Sevens team hasn't figured it out in 22 years. Like, no one's figured out how to put the American flag on a jersey and not look terrible. Like, just read the colors. I I feel like you see this in the NFL all the time. There's always better jersey designs coming from random people on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah, it's so funny. It's like, is it just because of, like, the whole group? effect where there's so many different opinions that you end up just it, it's like the star wars movies there's just too many different voices and you end up getting a very subpar you're problem. not you're not gonna make anyone happy like i think yeah. i think rian johnson made these dc uniforms like, never <laughs> i think like ireland new zealand england scott like sometimes scotland have the best jerseys in international rugby just simple clean you know what it's going to be every time make some God, minor so make some minor tweak whatever add a thing but then can we talk about an address that who called houston and austin and borrowed the world rugby officials jerseys for their mlr kit because <laughs> they're terrible i actually enjoy i enjoy austin's away kit the the black on top shading to the orange Okay, that one they but but then they're doing the orange the the shorts don't match their fade right. There was something well, about theirs that was bugging me. Both both jerseys, the home and away. So like the home is the orange to the black. It'll fade to the black, and it's that digital pattern that you hate, Craig. But then the the shorts are just black. Like they're the fade doesn't. That's continue right. That. But then, then the but see, and then on the home the home ones though the collar's white. And maybe I'm a weirdo. And the sleeve is white. So I was like, why didn't you make your sleeve and collar accent black, but your yeah. fade and sh- uh, like s- you're trying to hit your colors weirdly. I don't know. That one didn't do it for me. And it looks like, yeah, some weird like 1980, like the old, the cups you got in like 1985, the soda <laughs> cup blend thing. Yeah. That got made cool again into like bathing suit shorts. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah, no, That's I awesome. feel. The, the 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 early '90s Taco Bell aesthetic. Yes, that's that, what that blue swirly stuff. Yeah, they look like their new sponsorship is some Tex-Mex restaurant that's popping up in Austin. <laughs> well, look, you mentioned Houston jerseys. I mean, they look like they're trying to hypnotize you. Get out! Yeah, oh, dude. I mean, maybe they. How else are they going to win a game, dude? Houston went for the obstacle illusion uh, theme. You know, it's like they have one of those like vanishing, like you see the grade, like the vanishing horizon, or whatever they call it. Uh, You can't, you can't beat the defense if you can't see the defense. The the only thing I like about Houston is I I like the gold 
Sabercat on the black shorts. I think that looks sharp. I actually like the shorts. Houston shorts are good, in my view. The tops, though, are atrocious. Also, like, is it just me or is the kit reveal is, like, the mannequin model that they use for Houston, like a person with a weirdly shaped body? Like, why do the rest of them look you, like... Why are they not uh, universal? Everyone's they, the rest of them look like normal perfect. rugby player bodies, and then Houston looks like they have an hourglass upper body. It, I don't it's, know. Who, it's the design of the jersey confusing you, Craig. Yeah, yeah that, exactly. It's an optical illusion. That's actually you know the same. Like if, if you look at the what that web pit, yeah, the that particular article on MLR.com, If you go up to the jackals, like there's a broad-shouldered human mannequin behind that shirt, and then you scroll down to Houston, and it looks like. The optical I mean, illusion made it look like may, a maybe it was popsicle. some sort of stretching effect of like you no know, trying to fit everything onto one graphic, but at the same time, <laughs> I I know nothing about graphic design, so I'm just spitballing here. Well, that could also that could be the Toronto jersey. Somebody made um, a post on the MLR the ML Rugby subreddit about because um, they I forget who was in the picture, but somebody posted in the jerseys and like the they had their arms crossed over the logo. And the logo was behind their arms, whereas on the jersey, it feels like it's taking up half the jersey. Moral of the story, jerseys are just losing. You're never going to make everyone happy with jerseys, kit, design. Like, there's always going to be someone who doesn't like it. And they're usually going to have, you know, a podcast on which to talk about it. (laughs) Or not always going to have a podcast on which to talk about it. I still still played against the elite with their speckled – Things. Oh, the, the blue, the baby blue, black, orange. I didn't yeah. hate the color scheme, didn't love the uniforms. True. Just a uh, couple have, more notes. Didn't like play. <laughs> um, New England is actually also has a red alternate jersey. I actually liked it. I thought it looked pretty cool. And then yeah, like, um, where, where are these alternate jerseys coming from? Are they some on some other web page? Most people keep texting them to me, but I don't see them anywhere. So like on if you go to the, you know the individual teams. Yeah. Yeah, like the Free Jack Facebook page, if you scroll down a little bit, you can see the red jersey. It, it is pretty fuego, not going to lie. I believe it's, it's, yeah, and it's like per team. Because I think Utah Utah waits because they do, they'll do the that Iosefa uniform that they do that looks like LA and. I'm sure some teams will wait, but it looks like it's announced like per team. Like I heard, LA's got one coming, and you are they know, doing? Are, is At, LA doing? Atlanta's supposed to have one. Atlanta's supposed to have one with the rattlesnake instead of the A. Yeah. So I, I like the rattlesnake down. idea. For they're, them. they're diving into the unofficial nickname. <laughs> Unlike New York, who's abandoning, abandoning all of them. They're running. Yeah, how about they're running that ran away from their nickname, doesn't embrace it at all, and then changes their name to even something dumber? <laughs> Rinny? <laughs> it's yeah, rugby divided it. New York now. <laughs> yeah. Rin Tin Tin. Yeah, we, we, we need a second New York team because that worked out really well with the Giants and Jets. <laughs> worked out right for the Giants. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's definitely a weird thing. I mean, rugby, I mean, it is a, but like right now on the website it still says Rugby United in New York. So I don't know. Obviously, new owner come in, wants to make changes. I think the team in general has gotten a much more, it had a very Irish feel uh, under prior ownership. And now it's getting a very Southern Hemisphere, New Zealand sort of feel under the now New Zealand ownership. Uh, so it seems like they just want to do things 
differently, you know, kind of rebuild from the beginning, but uh, yeah, I don't know why. Much ownership for a while. It, it was constantly the Scottish management. Yeah, I suppose. But uh, there's, there's it, some it, French it, in there too. <laughs> It was kind of funny though, like like you know rugby rugby New York. It was very slow how they kind of made the transition from Rooney to Rooney. Like you know, at first like you saw like you know a few like you know pictures like from camps and stuff like that, like where like their tents would say Rugby New York, and you're like, oh, that's different. And then slowly but surely, it started to creep up more and more on social media until like they made the official name change. And I feel like it's almost like they don't want you to know. Yeah. Is it a secret? They're like, they just like, one day there's the word United just disappeared from the logo and everything else was the same. It's the Mandela uh, effect. Uh, yeah. So we, we all have to, we all have to, uh, you know, agree right now. We're not going to tell any future MLR fans that Rooney ever existed. We just have to let them slowly find out. Well, be like, Rooney, what are you talking about? Well, ho- hold on. Aren't they leaning into the Rooney aesthetic? Aren't they calling themselves or their fans the Roonies? Uh, the the, the think- Roosters. No, well, it, it was the Roosters. I, I saw somebody texting around. Another thing, like, you know, I get these text messages all the time, and someone texted me a picture of someone said the Roonies. But I think that was fan driven. I don't think that okay. that came from the team. I could I could be wrong. Uh, I mean, yeah. it could be Andy Rooney's fan fan club. You know, from uh, <laughs> from, from what was it, sixty minutes? Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to uh, next subject: coaching changes. I think we've had half the league. Make a coaching change last year, uh, Liam. Mm-hmm. You want to list them off? Uh, yeah. So in in New Orleans, we have uh, Coach Osborne, who I just want to say this is almost bl- Brian Flores' ish. You know, I, I, or that's how I felt at first. You know, you had a coach with you know pretty four pretty successful seasons, last two winning seasons back to back, but without a playoff berth. You know, so I don't think there was the toxic power struggle that you saw with the Miami Dolphins and Brian Flores going on behind the scenes, but. I digress. Uh, Coach Osborne was a friend of the show. He's being replaced by Kane Thompson um, up in New England. They're going through their third coaching change in three years. Um, it's going to Scott Matthew. And you guys are going to have to help me on pronouncing uh, his last name. Uh, the new coach of the Los Angeles Giltinis is Steve Hoyles. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. Hoyles? Hoyles? Hold on. It's yeah. uh Hoyle. Hoyle? Or Howells, isn't it? Howells? Oh god, now I'm really confused. H O W L E S? I I think it was Hoyles. It's H O I H O I L E S. I'm saying Hoyles. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna go ahead and say Hoyles. You know what? Know whose name is much easier to pronounce is Michael Hodge for the Dallas Jackals. He's going to be the youngest coach in the league at 32 years old. And uh, of course, we have uh, Pody. Uh, how do you pronounce his first name down there in Houston? Pody Human. I thought it was Heineke Meyer. Heineke Meyer is the head director of rugby. I thought he was so, the head coach. No, so Meyer was the was the head coach last year, and Human is stepping in as the head coach this year. I think there's been like conflicting reports over time, but I think that's. I think at, at first, if, if you go if you go to the press release, Josh, um, yeah. Yeah, but I think he was announced as director of rugby, and but then people were all talking about him as head coach, and then like a month later, they're like, he's not going to be the head coach. Oh, Uh, oh yeah, I remember that now. But either way, uh, Coach Human, the the last name Human is exactly what I would do if I were an alien coming down to Earth, and I was just very ill prepared the first time any anybody asked me my name. 
Um, so whether or not he's an extraterrestrial visitor, he is actually bringing with him some of the most international coaching experience uh, so far in the league. And what, what's interesting about the dynamic, like, you know, with Meyer stepping back from the sideline um, into the director of rugby role, is that's a move that they've been looking to make since the final days of Justin Fitzpatrick is sort of establishing um, a director of rugby to role to take some of the strain of, you know, the front office day-to-day stuff off the head coach, which is what which is what uh, a guy like Justin Fitzpatrick had to deal with in the early days down there in Houston. Not saying that's what derailed him or anything. There was a whole bunch of other stuff going on down there. Um, but it's certainly something that the organization uh, was looking to do for a couple of years um, just to sort of uh, better streamline the process of what was going on in the front office. And um, you'll see my bold prediction uh, how I think that's going to have an effect on there. Um, guys, any other notes on any of these other coaches? One more coach that I completely forgot about until like five minutes ago. San Diego hired former All Black Danny Lee as their head coach. Oh, yeah. All right. My bad, bro. <laughs> hey, I just I forgot too, so don't worry about it. What do you I, I, I mean, I, I think it's on you. Look, obviously, coaches change. This is a, a young league. There's a lot of turnover. I, I think two of these are really the, the most surprising, which are, as you suggested, Nola, Leah. I think. Yeah, Osborne, it seemed like such a fixture there. And, and the, just the whole like posture of that team seemed so long-term oriented. They were the, always signing people with a multi-year contracts when nobody else was. It seemed like they were really uh, – the strategy is really to build a core that was going to be consistent. So very surprising to see the head coach depart. They brought a player from the team to be the head coach. So that, I, I guess, in, in a way um, is a level of consistency – yeah, I mean, he uh, so like according to the website, it says like you know he spent two years like as an assistant coach, um, co- coaching uh, defense in the backs. So you know, like like coming in there, you, you you might lose like a little bit of that edge of culture that Osborne brought with them, but at least you're bringing somebody up who was you know in there with the team, was was in the meetings, like was in the planning. So you you're going to be able to bring a little bit of that foundation that Osborne set, um, you know, like you know, with you and just build it up in your own image, you know, uh, Thompson, I'm, I'm pretty sure he's still a young guy. I think he's like only in his late thirties at the moment. So he'll be able to yeah. react to a lot of these players on a more personal level in, in that sense, perhaps. Well, it's funny you bring that up. because I, I want to talk to age when we get to LA, who's, who's my next pick, but I, well, I guess one other thing I think is not weird, but I, I guess worth watching is, you know, I, I think Kane Thompson was a, a good player. Like he was exciting to watch. He, he seemed like a good contributor to the team. He's a little hot-headed, wasn't he? I mean, how many yellow cards did Kane Thompson get over the years? I mean, I feel like he was fighting every other week. Not traditionally what you think of as a head coach. Uh, so we'll see what the – I mean, I mean, I'm curious, I guess, what the if, if there's going to be an attitude shift to more of the – I don't want to say tough guy attitude, but I mean, he was like a very physical, very – aggressive sort of player, which I, I don't know that Nola necessarily as a whole had that sort of mentality. So I'm curious to see if that translates, but I mean, I guess he was an assistant coach. So, uh, you know, it, 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 there was always the possibility it could have translated then. My other weird one is LA because, you know, you have a champion uh, losing a coach. That's always a bit strange. The new coach they brought in is, in, you know, the team's already very Australia heavy with some older Australian players. The coach they brought in is, is a, essentially a colleague of those players. I mean, he's a 40-year-old Australian international. He's basically the same. He's like a teammate of Matt Gitto. Um, so that's also a strange dynamic to me, too. It almost s- signals, like, 
you know, they look to people like Matt Gitto as, you know, effectively the head coach already. Was, how, how is someone like that going to come in and exercise mm-hmm. authority over, over those types of players? I, that's, and here's the thing. I don't think that bodes well for LA, frankly, this coaching change. Uh, so we'll, we'll see. How, we'll see how that manifests. I'm, I'm curious what you guys think about it. But those are the two coaching, you know, changes or, or developments that I found the most unexpected. Yeah, and you you have a you have a similar issue down there in Dallas, um, uh, Craig. I, as I was mentioning, is that Steve Hoyles? He's he's coming in at 32 years old. He's the youngest coach, um, according to the press release. He's the youngest coach in Major League Rugby history. And in fact, he has like four guys. I'm pretty sure on the team who are a couple of years, like who are a couple of years, his senior um, sort of the Sean McVay effect down there. But, you know, obviously Dallas is hoping that has a similar effect, uh, you know, that Sean McVay did, um, you know, he's not coming in with a whole lot of coaching experience either. He was the uh, director of rugby for the university of Sydney. Um, and just to clarify, and, this is actually Michael Hodge, not Steve Hoyles. Oh, oh it was my, my bad, dude. I'm looking at the wrong part of it. Yeah, so I'm talking about Michael Hodge here, guys. My bad. Um, but yeah, but Hodge was the was the director of rugby down at the University of Sydney, and this is actually his first ever head coach, like major head coaching position that he's stepping into. Um, you know, like at the adult level. So for an expansion franchise with a front office that is still going to be learning with uh, with only a few players who have been around um, in the major league rugby circles, it's certainly going to be a challenge. And, you know, um, I, I remember there was, there was some football players saying that, like, you know, before you declare for the draft, you have to be sure that, you know, uh, before you declare, declare for the draft as a quarterback, you have to be sure that you can lead men who are 10 years your senior. And I feel like that's doubly important to be a coach. You have, if you go in at 32 years old or at 30 years old, whatever have you, you have to be able to talk to guys who are much older than you and be able to be that voice of authority, to be able to be that, you know, that leading voice in the dark. So it's going to be interesting to see how the, how the culture down there develops in Dallas under, under such a, uh, a young head coach and in an expansion franchise, no less. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. Put a, we'll put a little uh, asterisk on the Dallas coaching situation. Um, but as a broad brush from my experience, what I've seen, if, if you come into the MLR, uh, and it's your first professional coaching opportunity, you're going to struggle immensely, like immensely. Um, it doesn't matter. I don't care where you're from, how much you've done, how much you've played, this, that, and the other. If if it is your first professional coaching experience, you're going to struggle immensely. Going, you're going to have a, it's a long road, long learning curve. It's not. I mean, even in year one and two, I I lived it. I saw it, and saw and saw it around the league as well, where it was just like these guys or these. Unfortunately, no. These GMs are like, oh well, you know, if they're coming from this overseas place, like this is their time to get their shot. And by this time, by this year, they've all failed. So, yeah, the Nola one, that one surprised me. Um, obviously, you know, I, I sometimes in a, I'm in a precarious situation. I'll preface this, you know, going forward throughout this season, as long as I'm on the show and participating. That you know. There's, there's probably just some information that I have and get from people and friends that, you know, I, I just can't, can't, wouldn't, shouldn't share type of thing just out of respect and stuff like that. The Nola one was surprising though. 
Um, I do want to say little things that I, I get kind of excited about, and I'll, I'll talk about this when we get into kind of our offseason stuff. I, I had this asterisk was like, I love seeing like Nola bringing in a Taylor Howden. That that stuff excites me. Like I, Taylor's, you know, a, a, a damn dirty Kiwi, but I consider him as, <laughs> as, as American as a Kiwi can possibly be. I mean, I, I played against that guy at a like a middle school football field and you know, D1 club rugby before MLR and all these things existed. So like Taylor's been in the trenches of American rugby. So he, he gets, he gets a hug from me. And then um, another little group just kind of, cause I got to work with them uh, um, here this fall, whenever it was CTE's kicking in, but <laughs> when the army team, the army, army air corps team was up in Seattle and we played that, that game against the Seattle team, uh, working with the Seattle coaches and what they got going up there. I think, I think they have the right guy in place and with Pate and they've kind of re re altered their philosophy and priorities into the Seattle rugby community. And I think that's going to, that's going to come back full circle. Um, yeah, they're, I, I know we're not doing picks. I think they're going to be a problem in the West. I don't, I don't know if they're going to be the top two, but those two, those, those are the ones I always get excited about. When you see guys who came through the American club rugby system, MLR system, right. Potentially capped Eagles. And they're now getting their MLR shots. They're getting their opportunities to like, give back, show what it means, build these teams from guys who have been in there making, you know, 10 grand and sandwiches for team dinners. <laughs> you don't get excited by the re-signing of Ma Nanu? <laughs> I don't really care. I mean, Ma's – listen, Ma Nanu is a phenomenal, otherworldly entity – for, he's the fucking man. Like he's ma on it. Like, mm-hmm. of course, it's gonna be amazing. He's gonna be a, a damn problem. But like, I don't know. Like, I'm I'm openly, unapologetically biased. Like, no, I don't give a shit that Ma's coming over here collecting a paycheck and having a vacation in San Diego for a season, just like Gitto and those guys did. Like, I don't care. They're gonna be good, he's gonna be a problem, but like, I don't care. It's cool. <laughs> How disruptive is it? In, in your view, John, to have a new coach, you know, for these teams like Enola, like in LA, you know, facing a new coach coming to the season, is that a is that going to be a big change, or do you think that you know, there's enough institutional knowledge and confidence in the players to you know bridge that sort of bridge that sort of uh, gap or, or you know different starting point? Yeah, it's a good question. It's probably not a good answer. It all depends on the scenario, right? Like. Um, like Clarkey up in Seattle, Seattle are coming off, you know, a dumpster fire of that last season. You know, Clark's the guy, kind of guy comes in, you know, true blue Northern Irish, you know, no bullshit type of guy, probably what they needed up there. That could be a massive turnaround, right? For us, we were coming off of, an, well, I'm trying to quote, there was a very funny thing from like the presidential election of like, that was like, a moldy dinner inside of a dumpster fire inside of a whatever, like that was us that, um, you know, that second or third season, whatever it was now. And then Latham Pittman and Davies comes in 
and we're a completely different team. And then extrapolate that onto what the Warriors did this last year with Pitts and Davies. But, like, you know, we had Chris Latham for three months, and the entire culture of the team changed. I mean, immediately. You're, you're, you're giving scenarios where teams were struggling, and now there's a, a chance for a resurgence. But what about teams that were doing pretty well that now have a new coach? Like, is it going to be, you know, I guess like what I'm wondering is when there's a culture shift at the top and you're already performing well, like, is it easy to stay on the top or is that, you know, is there going to now have to be a reset where they take time to rebuild into the new attack shapes and the new gameplay strategy and all this, where now they're, they're going to struggle at first. It's going to take some time to get back to where they were. Or do you, I mean, maybe that you don't, you know, maybe there's enough time in the off season and, rugby skills are such that it's transferable enough. No one's that different that they could still, you know, the talents there, they could still be as good as they were the previous season. Yeah. I mean, then that's the gamble of, of the ownership and GM's decision to make those moves. Right. I'd say um, to, to play both sides, right. If I'm, if I'm the GM or I'm the, the director of rugby or whoever's making that decision, right. You know, good is the enemy of great. Like how long do you you know how long do you want to be Nola in New England? Like yeah, you're good. You're always going to get third or fourth. You're going to win a couple cool games, but no one gives a shit if you don't go to the playoffs. Like you're good, right? We see it in we see it in the NFL. We see it in these these certain places, right? And you don't want to get be the habitual Cleveland Brown, Jacksonville Jaguar, just Indianapolis Colts. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean they've got some stability, but like. It, man, it's so hard. It's such a hard thing to answer not being in that locker room because it could have been at NOLA, right? I don't think you could find a player and every player I've ever spoken to down there with a handful of pretty good friends and former teammates. I don't think you'd ever find someone say a bad word about Nate. I, I'll never say a bad word about Nate. He was my tax coach with the Eagles. I love, I mean, I still, I texted the guy when I, when it happened. Um, same thing in New England. Right. I don't think anyone had anything bad to say about that coach either. When I was going through my potential signing with them, I was asking some of the players the same thing. So, man, it, that it's just such a that's such a tough answer because that's the gamble, right? It could be phenomenal. It could be that new, fresh voice, fresh idea, one little tweak, one little emphasis and it's it's not like a tactical thing like everyone runs the same system or you've seen it all like you're, you're gonna do it or you're not but it, man it, it could be that fresh voice and yeah boom nola nola new england are top two in the east next year and you're like all right these guys are geniuses or they tank and you're like oh you got you guys maybe now it's your job that's up for grabs or they're right back in the middle and you're back to the drawing board of okay is it players is it us is it something but I mean, that's kind of the gamble you have to take if you, unless you want to be the proverbial, you know, third, fourth place. Like, yeah, we're good, but not. But we're selling tickets, and our fans are mostly happy. Yeah. What are your priorities as as ownership? You know what I mean? Is it just yeah, we coach, are? How do, you, how do you feel about being perennial middle of the pack, coach? Does that uh, excite you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, one, they've only had one full season, uh, the New England Free Jacks, and. Uh, yeah, the, the, there was definitely, you know, I, I was going to talk about this more when we were doing the uh, the new so signings with guys like Paula Bellicana um, co coming on to the Free Jack squad. They lost a lot of games that, that, that they should have won just by not being able to move the, move the ball consistently. And so New England, it has the potential to 
absolutely be an 11 and 5, 10 and 6 team and make the playoffs. But there was, I don't, I don't want to say it was schematic. I just think there was a weird, weird assortment of personnel on the, on the pitch at certain times that wasn't conducive, um, you know, to, to getting over the, whatever kind of hump that they needed to. Uh, that, you, like, guys had weird, you guys had weird player selections. Like the, the, it was like there was opposing styles within the team a lot. Every time I watched them, cause I was like, they're doing everything right, but it's not working. And you're like, what? Is wrong. Well, exactly. It's like you know, and like so that we uh, the New England Freeze. I can't say really we anymore. I don't. I no longer collect a paycheck from them. But they moved really uh, the yeah, ball the really well in in, yeah. in the middle of the field with their forwards. But when it came to trying to attack with the back line, they really relied on guys like Dougie Fife and Bodine Waka just getting like these like you know these line breaks for thirty or forty meters for for you know for either a straight try or for a quick assistant try. Mm-hmm. And I think you know a. a I think that's going to be the big separation on, on how many games that they win is how how well can they attack consistently and attack and run through their phases using both the forwards and the backs. I think Paul Bellicana is going to be awesome with that considering he put up 1,400 meters six tries last year playing for the Houston Sabercats. So I think with a lot you know better supporting pieces um, you know there, he's going to be one of the big difference makers in terms of getting New England over that middle of the pack hump. I, I want to see what in New York as we should. Yeah right. Uh, I, I you know I, I like I, I found New England very fun to watch. They were just in my view last year such a big play reliant team. I mean they needed an interception or like a critical error on the other side or a fifty meter line break to develop. Which was, they never, which was wild for the forward pack that they had last year. That yeah. they were relying on stuff like that because their forward pack last year was my favorite to watch. Yeah. Well, except yeah. for when Billy was at hooker. Oh my! Listen, Billy is a very, very nice guy, you know, and great at flanker. I think he's an awesome flanker. He's he's a big body dude who uh, you know can get off quick, and he's punishing when he tackles you. But oh my god, could he not throw it in straight? His his line and throws were straighter at, than me. All right, and that's not saying a whole lot. All right, uh, yeah, a whole lot of games lost in in uh, you know in the set piece on the on the restart in the lineout. Um, yeah they also lost a lot in the scrum because i remember um i was in i did some of the atlanta post-game press conferences and when they faced atlanta i remember asking because i i I noted the stat before the game and i remember asking head coach scott lawrence about it because if i I remember the stat correctly new england was only winning 78 percent of their own scrums at that it was it was trash. And like, and here's the thing. If you're below 89% in major league rugby in terms of win of scrum win percentage, there's something very, very wrong. Yeah. Of your own, of your own. If you're anywhere below, yeah. like if you're anywhere below 96 of your own, you're having some very, very unpleasant meetings on Mondays. <laughs> and I, and I just, I want to, you know, I think the new coach in, in New England may, uh, you know, that's honestly one of the ones I think might be the most positive impact. Not that the previous coach was doing well, but I just, I, they always, I thought, it was frustrating if you wanted them to do well because they seem to lack a certain tactical patience to, like, grind some out points. You know, it's like they either made something happen with a big play or they kicked it away. They, they didn't seem to have, like, another idea or anything else in the playbook. And I, I think a lot of times in rugby, you score by grinding something out. Like, 20 phases in a row, you do every, everything right, gain an inch, gain a couple of meters here. Finally, you work in some small hole that you can use to attack. They didn't. They never seemed to 
operate that way with with that sort of patience. Uh, so I like I think you know I want to see what the new coach there does. But that that to me is what I could have been a big difference maker for them. We'll see if this year they can manage it. What's that famous Eddie Jones quote? He's like, everybody has a responsibility to help this team. You all have a responsibility to give the ball to Jonah Lamu. Like, <laughs> uh, it was something along those lines. And I feel like it was like, you all have a responsibility to give the ball to Dougie Fife. Uh, was yeah. essentially the, the, the uh, you know, the, the come from behind game plan in New England last season. Fair enough. All right, let's, let's move on just to a little bit. Let's go with bold predictions, you know, new season. New schedules, you know, in unbalanced league, we have seven in the West, six in the East. Um, if I remember correctly, the East teams are going to be playing three games against one team. Um, the West will have a little bit more balanced schedule. Um, you know, first bold prediction from, you know, Facebook friend is Rick Collins. Is Jackals over the Aust- over Austin week one. What, what do you guys have? Oh, to my win? God. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. I, I also don't think so. Hey, that's a bold prediction, though, Rick. That's bold. You know, that is bold. In there. Uh, what was that guy's name? That was, yeah, 100% Rick. bold. Rick, 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 Rick. Are you Rick rolling us, man? <laughs> not, I, mean, not I don't think it's the, that I don't think it's going to happen. But I don't think it's that crazy. It's not like Austin has been dominant. Uh, but I, I think the Jackals are just too fresh to expect to win week one. Hey, fun fact, the Houston Texans won their first ever game with with, uh, with, with what was statistically you know, the hey, worst Jacksonville, offensive line. Jacksonville in, beat Indianapolis with Gardner Minshew, so uh, maybe we are – we're just going to – we're going to have to take that one on the chin come week one. Yeah. But, yeah. But I, I no, don't think it's going to no. happen, but I, I don't think it's as crazy as it made that initial reaction was. But I, I, I appreciate the prediction, Rick. Let's see. Uh, we'll see what happens. We're watch as we're going to be eating our words after week one. Jackals are going to blow them out by thirty. It's like, oh damn! I mean, expansion teams have done well in MLR history. It's not like other sports where expansion teams typically come in and suck. Like, has any expansion team not made the playoffs in their first year or a couple of years? I think like every, you know, New York and Toronto both made. Yeah, it. but I mean, LA Craig, Craig, LA brought in World Cup. World Rugby Player of the Year caliber players handing out gym ownership and Dodgers box seats. Yeah, Dallas brought in you know Prem. Yeah, guys. we're, we're, we're just talking Africans. about them beating Austin Week One, not winning the MLR Shield. Uh, so I, I again, I, I don't, I actually don't think Dallas is going to have a good year. But um, yeah, I, crazier things have happened. Put, put me as a maybe for that prediction. I'm, I'm not totally against it for the Austin Week One. Where, where is it at? Uh, we uh, give me a second. I'll, I'll let you know. It's While I'm looking uh, this up, Liam, let's hear your bold prediction for the year. Um, so I'm going to keep my bold prediction in the state of Texas, and I, I just want to see John have a stroke too. Uh, the Houston Sabercats will have a winning record for the first time in franchise history in 2022. Without so, Sam okay. Windsor. Who are they? Who are they beating twice then? Uh, Jackals. Dallas. They're, they're they're both in the West, aren't they? Dallas. Yeah. You're saying they're going to beat Dallas twice? Yeah. So I think uh, they they could easily beat Dallas twice, split with Austin. Um, you know, That's depends how wins. depends depends whether <laughs> Seattle wants to have a pulse this season as well. Uh, but. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm sort of banking on the fact that the new dynamic between, you know, director of rugby and coach is going to allow, you know, more time for the head coach to spend more time on rugby. Um, you know, they have, they, they've had those amazing facilities now for two years. I was the, I was there the year that Aviva was built, 
that that, that fan base deserves something. And if this has to be my bold prediction, if there's has to be a bold prediction that I get correct, I hope that it's this one, that the city of Houston, the rugby fans get what they deserve. I'm not even saying playoffs, man. I'm saying let's just get middle of the pack, the Sabre pack to the middle of the pack. Just be as good as New England. That's all they need to do. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, my listen again. My unapologetic American buy. I just the Houston, South African contingent clear house and make all my friends leave. I'm like, I, I can't, I can't root for Houston. I, I don't know. I can't. I, I feel like every year, I think Houston's good. I'm like, this is the year of Houston. Even like year one of MLR, uh, they were the in, favorites they were before be week good. one of year. They, they've always come right. into the season with at least decent expectations and then every year they absolutely, but Sam, yeah, Sam Windsor's gone to New York now. So maybe he was the cancer that was holding them back. (laughs) Okay. Sam (laughs) Windsor is not a cancer. I can't, I cannot let that fly. But I'll tell you what, maybe that could have been a problem for sure. They relied on him for everything. But I'll tell you what, say what you want about Fitzy, but I I still that scrum they had that year one was untouchable. Better than Seattle year one? Like Seattle yes. year Houston's? one. Yeah, I mean I you Seattle oh. year one, like yeah, I think statistically their scrum was like unstoppable that year. Yeah, no, un- under call. Patrick, it was a great freaking scrum. Yeah. You had De- you had Deaver, you had Connolly, you had Pat uh, yeah. you know, O'Toole right there in the front row, like it was powerful. There was like maybe statistically, Seattle maybe had him. You, you, you. I wouldn't know. I'm the worst stats guy, but I'm telling you right now, of any scrum I've ever gone against, at most levels, the only others I can think of is like being against the Georgians and Romanians, because then you're like, my God, what are these guys on? <laughs> but that Houston, that Houston pack, you were just like, just throw the ball to the back and hope for the best, because we ain't going anywhere. <laughs> interesting good interesting to see this is it is always great to have you here Jai. i love these takes uh but yeah i would not i mean i remember them having a good pack but i i never pictured them as being as dominant as you're describing you and, just knew you just knew you were, you knew you were going backwards and you were hoping you just had to make it respectable and that was most teams like seattle's was good because like they were big and you know I think they were sitting. They had Ollie and um, uh, Tim and Shep and uh, Ola Barkwell or whatever that first year. So very experienced, very smart scrum. They knew when and where to play and get you on some stuff. San Diego's the same way with um, um, oh gosh, uh, Australian prop they brought. Patty Ryan. Yes, Patty Ryan. Yeah. Very smart. Very like they knew when to get you, but Houston's was just like, hey, we're gonna destroy you every scrum. We don't really care if it's tactical or not. Because was Paul Mullen on Houston that first year? Was he yes. part of that? Yeah. yeah. All right. So okay. I, I do have an answer to He came off the bench. I do have an answer to our question. Um the Austin Dallas game is in Austin week one. Yeah, those uh, laser light shows just—they're gonna throw you for a loop. You can't, Dude, you can't beat that. So I—I I remember the first ever MLR game I ever worked in Houston. We went to that baseball stadium, um, you know, out there, like like kind of near Round Rock. Yeah. And th- it was pouring rain, like torrential downpour. There's like 
20 people in the stands. And then Austin comes out to the, like these fireworks and lasers and smoke and stuff like that. And it was just like, it, it was cool. There was a lot of showmanship into it, but like the pouring rain and 20 people in the stands just made it kind of, like, it made it look like, like it was like a, like a, like an independent wrestling organization offering it out of a middle school gym. Texas. Nothing, yeah. nothing's changed. They do the same thing at Circuit of America as they do like a laser light show at halftime. You're like, dude, there's 15 people here. <laughs> hey, the, the best part, is the, the best part is, the, is the in-stadium announcer. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Listen, I, I have to be careful with my new job. Like a lot of these guys are going to be potential like clients and people that I work with for the rest of my life. So I can't say too many things, but I'm like, the in-state, like, the, don't get me started because no. the Warriors, what they were doing with their in-stadium and their announcers is just as bad. So you, you mean having the mascot ride the motorcycle past the guy attempting the conversion kick? Yeah, that was weird. <laughs> that was like, That's classic. Classic. I, like, I mean, also, also, why is our why is our mascot a cat? It's it's Cohen the Panther. Sorry. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think with the Warriors, cultural appropriation, you know, might have been a consideration with a mascot design. And listen, I can say, I can say what I want to say. Do you know how many uncles of players we could have had out there just jacked, painted to the nines in straight up tribal warrior gear, killing killing it? But no, we have a black we have a black cat. Uh, yeah. Craig, Craig, let's hear your bold prediction for the year. All right. I actually had a similar bowl prediction last year, uh, and it was completely wrong. But I'm going to ride that wave, and I'm going to say L.A. Giltinis do not finish in the top two in the West. I just, think, just, again, just like – The heads oh, the playoffs are three teams each this year. That's fine. I'm just saying they're not going to finish in the yeah, top so two. They make it to the uh, quarters. They don't make it to the semis, you know? I, I, I was going to start at the table. I'm not even taking the playoffs. Like they will not on the table at the end of the regular season. They will not be in the top two. Uh, I just think again, new coach. I, I don't like that vibe. Uh, I feel like a lot of the players screams. It screams complacency to me. Like they just yeah. think like, "Oh, we're good." It was like a. I feel like they had a one and done sort of attitude. Like, hey, they want to come have a nice run, win a championship. It was exciting. Now they've done that. You know they were they were they had a lot of really effective attacking maneuvers last year, but now there's been a whole off season to look at them. Uh, I think teams will be more prepared for it now. Even by the end of last year, they were a lot more prepared for it. Um, so I, I I am predicting LA will will disappoint, which I said last year before the season, and they obviously crushed everyone. So that was big whip by me. I'm I'm making up for it this year. My, when did LA finish last yeah, year? Fourteen like and two. Something like that. Yes. Uh, something like that. Uh, yeah. Yeah, tw- uh, 12 they lost four. to Atlanta and they lost to San Diego. Utah. Utah. New York. Utah. New York. New York. First loss. Yeah. New York and Utah in the regular season. Oh, they, they were Utah. 12 and 4. Yeah. They lost a few times. Didn't they oh, lose did to they? Atlanta once, maybe? Yeah, they lost in Atlanta. They lost in New York. And then Nola. Nola beat them in LA, right? That game was won. Was it in LA? Yeah, it was something. It was a wild win. Yeah. I'd have to look at it. I, I, 12 over. They were, plus, they were a laughable plus 240 point differential, <laughs> uh, where the second second best point differential was 99. So wow. they had uh, more than double the second best point differential. 
Yeah, I don't, I don't think that happens again. I don't think you get to come off the COVID nonsense with a vastly superior experience on the team that they just don't have anymore, just don't have it. Um, yeah, so you're not coming in with, you know, World Cup semifinalists and New England who's had three practices. Well, they, it's they cold right now month. in Massachusetts, man. Talk to my dad; he'll tell you. <laughs> remember, they also spent a month in Maui before the, the season started. And, hey, oh yeah, like I, live in, I live in Iowa. It's three degrees. Yeah, John, let's hear your prediction for the year. Okay, are we doing our off-season signings after this, or are we rolling them into the same thing? Oh, we can touch on them. I mean, if you want to touch on them now, go ahead. Mine just kind of like roll into each other, so I figure I just knock it out. Yeah, no yeah. So my, my signings, I give. I'm doing kudos, broad brush to both Austin and New England. I think they had the, I think they had the best signings for what they lost and what they brought in. Uh, maybe not like big bucket splashes. I just think the best signings. Um, I'll give my special shout out at the end. My bold prediction is that. Toronto and Austin are back in the playoffs. Well, uh, Toronto back in the playoffs. Austin makes their first playoffs. Oh, man. Rick is not going to like this. Uh, Rick Collins of the Dallas Jackals prediction. Uh, all and right. Then going kind of all along the same lines with my coach thing, I was going to say my, my number one offseason player signing that I'm most excited about. Again, I'm biased, but it will be – uh, Tavita Lopetti of Seattle, of a kid who comes out of the college game, is the most impressive player I saw on a very unimpressive Eagles tour and is now going to a Seattle team that needs exactly what he brings to the field and young Amer- you know, American product through and through that is you know, what we dreamed about of coming through the ranks of us rugby to make an impact. I'm praying that the league GMs owners and peoples of power get their nonsense together to keep the kid here paid, taking care of him and his family. And he does not have to go overseas, but he's my number one signing. I'm most excited about. I think that kid is going to be an absolute stud. Correct me if I'm wrong. Wasn't his first Eagles was did he start against England or did he come off the bench? A lot of, a lot of pop quizzes on this podcast. Oh. Pronunciations, I had first a, appearances. I was coaching a game, so I had to rewatch both of those. I, I think he came off the bench and then he started. But no, 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 he started because someone made a big deal of how the kid had never played test match rugby and he's out there throwing shoulders with the best of them. Yeah, his first match out of college without even playing an MLR game is against England, and his next one is against Ireland. Like, yeah. come on. And he held Kids, his own, too. It is going to be an absolute stud. Absolutely. Um, you know, for me, I'm just I'm going to go with the funny bowl prediction. We're going to lose a bunch of balls in Seattle because since they're playing on a parking garage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so first – Thank started. you, John. He started against Canada. Thank you. Thank yeah. you, John. Um, San Diego. It was they announced it was out of oh, control. They are. I think it's Seattle. San Diego. Sorry, oh. or, my bad. 
Um, yes, San Diego is out of their control. They are not playing at Torero Stadium this year. They have formed a partnership with San Diego State University, and they are playing their home games this year at the San Diego State Sports Deck. It is where their San Diego State hosts their track and field events, plays their soccer games. It is literally built on a two-story parking garage. I like it. Can we? It holds. It holds three thousand people. I don't think New York even has a stadium officially announced yet. So they're trying to sell tickets. Games are in a month, and they don't have a stadium. Like, who's buying tickets when they don't know where they're going for the ticket? Uh, so. You know what? So a sold-out stadium of three thousand, you know, looks a lot better on TV than three thousand people in a twelve thousand, you know, uh, seat stadium. So or or, or a seventy thousand seat stadium. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Torero is awesome, so hopefully they can get back there, you know, sometime soon. Yeah, but, uh, well, I just everything well, I I'm, hear. So I'm out hoping. Of that. So it's just like you guys went from the. Go ahead, sorry, Josh. It's just like you guys went from the, the second best franchise in forms of performance and what you had going to. I'm just like, who's running things? Like. Even last year, where they're playing in Vegas and playing here and don't have a stadium and blah blah blah, and I'm like, you have a team that shares your state, playing in a massive stadium every week, getting these deals done. So you can't even claim like, oh, it's not our fault. It's California's fault. It's like, no, they're doing it. What are you guys doing wrong? Well, Admittedly, one club I think has significantly deeper pockets uh, than the other, by which I mean LA over San Diego. Yeah, so here's, what, like, here's what I'm hoping. They they formed this partnership with San Diego State. San Diego State is currently building a new football stadium. They tore down um, whatever I forget the Qualcomm. Qualcomm. Yeah, tore down Qualcomm, and so they're building a new stadium. And I'm hoping this partnership, you know, gets them used to that stadium. So, Fair that enough. would be really cool. All right, I think we've all been going long enough. You guys want to add any last minute thoughts? My number one signing was Sam Windsor. Give the New York shout out in New York. Uh. Um, I, I think Hongo Hammerscheich is going to really benefit um, from the piece. I, I said this earlier. I think he's really going to benefit from the pieces down there in LA. Um, I feel like Hongo, you know, for like ever since like his rookie year, like his rookie year was so phenomenal. People were like, oh, this guy's going to take over the MLR. And I feel like it hasn't really happened. And so I feel like, like for the last few years, people are like, oh, Hanko's going to be MVP. Hanko's going to be M- MVP. And I feel like he didn't really reach that ceiling in New York. I think, you know, it might be like a Tom Brady in Tampa Bay situation, like him going down there to L.A. Is that a signing or a trade, though? I don't know. Supposedly it's a trade. We'll see. I'm skeptical. I, I've seen that everyone, even – so, even So what was the trade? Hanko yeah, for Pago? That, that was, that, that was meant to trade? They haven't officially. announced – no, there's been no disclosure of what the return asset was, but even all the, like the articles where they're worded, like Hanko's like they needed people out there, so I put my hand up to go play. Like that's not the language of someone who is traded. That you know, if you're traded, you're just going where they tell you. It's everything acts like he voluntarily chose to go out there, and plus stuff I heard, you know, I've heard in, in the background about what was going on in New York. It, it everything to me seems like a signing, uh, but well, that's interesting. That's been my favorite thing because, like, you can't trade someone. So when they word that, I'm like, okay, like, 
even when we were all playing, like we all weren't just like, like, okay, you just got to make it sound like you do all the stuff that other sports teams do. And we have a draft and blah, blah, blah. But like, you can't be traded because the league can't tell you where to go no matter what. Like the only good thing about him, the one of three, maybe positive things in an MLR contract focused around the player is like, yeah, because if that happens, you're just like, no. <laughs> and then there's nothing There's nothing they can do about it because it's like, no, you have to go. You signed a contract, and you're like, cool, I'm not going. My contract's void. Here's the document. Like, So the, tra- the trade verbiage, I'm right there with you. It's like, it's not a thing. It sounds cool on write-ups because those are the words you have to use, but it's like you can't trade anyone, and no one – like you can swap – and you can do the player for a foreign player, money for a foreign player, but that's between you and the league. But it's like, no. Or a guy, a guy can be like, I want to leave. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, well, I guess we'll see what comes in. But I, 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 didn't, I didn't think Hawk was a great addition to LA. I, I didn't count him as a sign, though, since he had, yeah, he's been reported as a trade, unlike these other ones. Well, that's what I mean. Because and then, they, but then they don't word it. Like, if you're gonna word it and you're gonna play the game, play the game. Like, you traded Honko for Pago. Yeah. But then it looked like no, we let them both go, and then we signed Honko in New York, signed Pago, and you're like, that's yeah. not a trade. <laughs> yeah. Like, if Honko has a new contract with new terms, and he wasn't traded, he just signed a new contract in a new place. You know, I think. It's it's not well, that confusing. It, 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 might, it might be kind of like, you know, I'm sorry I keep on referencing the NFL here, but like, you know, the, the 2004 NFL draft where the the San, the San Diego Chargers were like, all right, Giants, we'll draft Eli if you guys make sure you draft Rivers, like based on like where other teams were on the board. And they're like, then we'll do the switch. Just make sure that you get our guy and we'll get your guy. Um, yeah. It might have been like, all right, we're going to release him. You guys are going to release him. We'll make sure that they – they're not going to, you know, scatter and go sign up with other teams. They sign with with one another, right? But I mean, and this is a complete. This is a. This is probably its own own episode. But it's like <laughs> with the centralized contracts, it's like you're not trading anyone. The league's just saying, "Hey, is it?" The league is going to contact the player, like, "Hey, can you even move there? Like, do you have <laughs> the ability to do this?" And like, we're only paying you twenty k a year, but like, can you yeah. afford a place in San Diego? <laughs> yeah, and it's gonna be like, no, I'm not doing that. Like, I'll go. I'm, I'll I'm, go I'm moving into a studio in LA with no kitchen, paying thirteen hundred a month. So yeah, yeah, with, with <laughs> two other guys on the team. You know, what yeah, literally. Honestly, again, like I think MLR's struggle has always been the commercial side of things rather than the, the rugby playing side. They should do a ultimate fighter reality show sort of thing where they have like a team that all live in one house. Yeah, they just buy the house for the year, like rent it out and have like 20 rugby players living in that thing and just follow the whole season like the ultimate That's fighter that. reality show. I would have been my college, yeah, my college what? house. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that the Raptors? Just follow the rappers around. <laughs> they all live in those Glendale apartments. <laughs> they walk the field. So we don't mention the Raptors here anymore. They're a persona non grata now. Uh, I mean, uh, I, I yeah, love Paul Emmerich. Uh, by the way, uh, shout out to Paul Emmerich for getting the head coaching job uh, with the Raptors. Very deserving, very awesome uh, rugby player. Even better person. 
I, I think that's how that's how you sorry to jump back to this, but that's how UFC became like a mega wealthy sporting enterprise. Was that I mean it was Wolf it Insider was more popular than UFC was. Yeah, yeah, it was. Well, yeah, I, well, the, I think that's the ultimate fighter, though. I mean, this ultimate fighting championship, the the successor to the original, like the ultimate fighter thing. I mean, it's certainly worth as an as a business much, much, much more than the ultimate fighter was. And I, I think that's what the league, or at least Austin, was trying to do with inside the scrum, you know, which is good. I mean, that was a good, yeah, it's a good attempt, but it's yeah, not yeah. quite a, a, a season long reality show. But yeah, I liked I liked inside the scrum. Well, then never, never have I liked and respected a person more and hated them more than Alex right now with this weird thing that they're doing. The, I forget what it's called. I was like, I've never liked and respected someone's rugbyism probably more than Alex and what he's done for U.S. rugby and stuff. But I'm like, every time I watch that, I'm like, bro, please stop. <laughs> All right. Last call for comments. Going once. Good to be back, everyone. Good to be back. Yes. Yes. Let's put positive vibes. A successful season. No, no nonsense from you know the nonsense but, entity but the, in the last couple of years. I'm, I'm gonna get one more comment in. Just as far as I know, the two scrum rule reset is still in effect. I know we Gross. all hated that rule. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it for the show tonight. Thank you all for joining us. So much for ending on positivity. <laughs> hey, Let's have a positive vibe. Oh, by the way, the worst rule is still there. Okay, goodbye, everyone. Hey, hold on. I'll, I'll add some positive news for at least for us on you know on Earful Dirt. Well, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Earful Dirt. You know, pay close attention. We may have a surprise interview coming soon. So let's. Uh, I think that's it. Have a good night, folks. Thanks for listening to Earful of Dirt. Connect with your hosts via Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Earful of Dirt. Visit our website at earfulofdirt.com or email us your thoughts and questions to earfulofdirt at gmail.com. <laughs>